Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we share stories of people who experienced horrible things and try to imagine what they went through, as well as look for opportunities that could have made a difference and encourage people to help others that are being abused. Peter and QC Chadwick were a very successful millionaire couple with three children. Peter worked in real estate development and was able to provide a $2 million home for his family in a safe, gated community neighborhood. Their oldest son was in college, but their two youngest were still in school. One day, after school got out, the two youngest sons waited at the bus stop to get picked up. One of their parents always picked them up at this stop after school. But today, neither of them were showing up or answering their phones. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. And before we start, I just wanted to say something. So within the past week, we've had both people tell us that we sound too bored and that we laugh too much. So kind of contradicting, but... (laughs) I just wanted to thank all of you listeners who continue to tune in and put up with us at our best and at our worst. You know, we're just two 20-something kids with full-time jobs. We're passionate about sharing these stories, but sometimes we record when we're tired, and we're sorry if it comes across as a lack of interest. And also, with the things we talk about, it doesn't always feel right to sound like passionate or expressive, you know? Mm-hmm. But we will work on trying to be more interesting. And I did sound bored because I was really sick. So, oh, yeah. So there. <laughs> That's why. It's because I was feeling like poop. Anyway, just wanted to say that. Also, we have some patrons to thank, Rosie. Yes. Lindsay, Candice, and Kate. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Candice. And thank you, Kate. Um... Also, we just released a couple new Patreon episodes. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a nifty little website where you can help support content creators. And also, it's a way for content creators to give their supporters a little extra content in return for the support. Right. So we just released an episode about the Mall of America at the $2 tier. And Ryan just started a new series out on our $5 tier, and it's called Ryan Rambles. (laughs) And it's adorable. (laughs) At this time, he shares a personal story about how certain things a bank did and how they may be considered theft. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be interesting, so I definitely recommend you check that out. It could be Ryan Rambles or Ryan Rants, either one. I know. I kind of debated on the two, but... Mm -hmm. There's already things that are like screen rant and Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Anyways, you can check these out over on our Patreon at patreon.com slash VOV podcast. And the link is always in the show notes or on any of our social media pages. So tonight's story revolves around the Chadwick family. Now, Peter Chadwick has been in the news again because there has been some recent developments but before we talk about that rosie do you want to tell us who the chadwick family is right yes (laughs) the chadwicks are a family with three kids all boys the mother's name is kui chu and she was born in malaysia in june 1966 so in october of 2012 when our story takes place she was 46 kui chu's friends called her kate (laughs) quick QC. I know I'm going to have a hard time saying that. I wanted to say Quasi, like our cat. Um, She was known to be the life of the party. And she was also known as a very loving and devoted mother to her three sons. 
The father, Peter, was born in England in 1964. So he was 48 in 2012. Peter possessed dual citizenship between the UK and the US. Both of them came from very wealthy families. Eventually, both Peter and QC ended up in the United States, and they met in college when they attended Arizona State University. You having a rough time with QC? Yeah, it's a hard letter. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) What my problem is? Well, QC was out of her comfort zone at this college. She was still adjusting to the Western world customs and lifestyles because, I mean, she grew up in Malaysia, and she didn't even know English yet. So Peter helped her out, and I mean, so far this is a pretty cute little love story. Mm-hmm. The two of them started spending more and more time together, and their friendship blossomed into something more romantic. In 1991, they got married and settled down in Newport Beach, California, which I hear is amazing. They bought a $2 million home in a gated community, and it was known to be very safe. Sometimes entire years would pass without a murder. Which is pretty good for a community in California, right? It seems like it. I mean... Seems like anywhere, really. Yeah. They went on... Oh, go ahead. $2 million. That's a... That's a a, pocket change. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Pocket change. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. They went on to have three children, all boys, and QC pushed them to do well in school and sports. By all accounts, they were a very successful and well-off family. So Peter carried on his family's legacy of working on the back end of real estate development. And the couple seemed to be very well-off. Basically, I mean, they were millionaires. They have a $2 million house. Also, Peter was able to work from home, and QC could be a stay-at-home mom. So it sounds like a pretty perfect situation where they could spend a lot of time together as a family and as a couple. Mm, Yeah, sounds like the dream. I wish I could be a stay-at-home cat mom. (laughs) Cat mom. (laughs) You'd probably get pretty bored. I would. I would. Let's fast forward to 2012. Their oldest son was away at college. The two younger sons were able to ride the bus to school from the bus stop near their community. Every day, one of their parents would drop them off and pick them up from the bus stop. On Wednesday, October 10th, 2012, they waited at the bus stop for one of their parents to pick them up, like they did every day, but it was taking longer than they expected. They started trying to call their parents, but they weren't getting any response. So naturally, they began to worry. Then, a neighbor that knew the family was driving by the bus stop and saw the boys standing out there. She realized that they should have been picked up by now and pulled over to see why they were still there. The boys said they had no idea what was going on and that neither of their parents were answering. So this would be a really scary situation. I know when I was a kid, I worried so much about my mom. Like, (laughs) I had to know at all times where she was and, like, know that she was safe because it was, like, my biggest fear to lose her you know and these boys were probably a bit tougher than i was as a child but (laughs) this is still one of those moments where your heart sinks not knowing why your parents aren't responding to you so after hearing the boy's dilemma the neighbor gave them a ride back to her place and continued trying to call their parents but peter and qc were completely silent nothing like this had ever happened before So the neighbor decided to call the police for a welfare check. So a few hours had passed. It's now 7 p.m. And these boys still have no idea where their parents are. I can't imagine the helpless feeling. At 7 p.m., the police arrived at the Chadwick home and knocked on the door. But again, there was no answer. The police tried the phones again, and Peter's phone seemed to be off because it went straight to voicemail. But QC's phone rang with no answer. So this gave them the probable cause they needed to enter the home and see what the heck was going on. And when the police entered the home, everything seemed to look pretty normal. Although there were some sandwich-making ingredients left out on the counter. (laughs) Sandwich-making ingredients. (laughs) Yeah, well, there were no specific details, but I'm guessing like mayo. Yeah, bread. I guess bread can stay out, though. Well, it gets stale if it's not wrapped. Mm -hmm. 
But this is strange because, I mean, most sandwich stuff needs to be refrigerated, but it was just sitting out on the counter looking like it was just forgotten about. But police continued to make their way further into the house, and when they entered the bathroom, they found a little more suspicious evidence. Yeah, there was broken glass from a vase near the bathtub. So it looked like there was some kind of struggle in there. In the bathtub, the police found what looked like blood residue near the drain. So that obviously doesn't look good. And as they continued into the house, they found a safe wide open and completely empty. So could this have been a robbery gone wrong? These are interesting things. Yeah. The vase, blood residue. Like, huh. if just stumbling upon this scene at first, you're like, if it was a robbery, why would there be blood unless something went really wrong? So it must have just been a weird scene to come across and trying mm-hmm. to figure out what happened. They found that the door from the house to the garage was left open. The family had a minivan and a silver Lexus SUV. Now, the minivan was there, but the Lexus was missing. So maybe someone robbed them and got away in their Lexus, but then there's the blood, and the people are completely missing. So would a robber waste time taking people with him? Like, the scene just doesn't make much sense. No, but the robber made the right choice by taking the Lexus and leaving the minivan. (laughs) That's a good point. The police tried calling the phones again, and they heard QC's phone ring, and it was in the house, plugged into the charger. Baffled by the scene and wanting to figure out what was going on, police pulled security video footage from around their community, and they actually saw the Lexus leaving the home around 1.30 p.m. And it appeared to be Peter driving the car. The car never returned to the house in the rest of the footage. So, what? this is really strange. Why would this guy leave the house and have no contact with his kids? Well, the next morning, around 5.30 a.m., uh, there was an interesting call placed to 911. It was Peter calling from near the Mexican border. He told police that he had been through quite an ordeal that night. Peter said that he had hired a man named Juan to do some painting in the house. He said that he asked Juan to paint a banister in the home, and then he left him to go do some work in another part of the house. But then Juan ended up drowning Peter's wife, QC, and killing her. Around 11 a.m., he put her body in the car and kidnapped Peter. He said Juan drove him to San Diego. Then he and his friend Chi moved QC into a pickup truck, told him they were going to cut her up, and left him with his Lexus. Okay, this is horrible. Juan and Cheat sound like some really scary dudes, and I can't believe they just let Peter go like that. I mean, it was pretty stupid of them leaving a witness behind, and also not taking the Lexus. And it's also odd that they'd kill her, but not him. And I'm really curious what the motivation was behind this. Like, they drowned her, drove around for 16 hours. I mean, Newport Beach is less than two hours from San Diego. So, like, what were they doing? Unfortunately, this is really all the information Peter could provide at this point. And it's almost as if it's a horribly written story with an unbelievable character actions and motivations. Was this written by D&D? If you if you understand what I just said, please let me know. But I don't even understand. That's good. But I don't know how we can drag out this ridiculous story any longer. It's pretty obvious that it's total BS, and I'm sure a lot of people are screaming at their phones, the husband did it. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I totally think the husband did it. I think this story is a bunch of poop. A bunch of poop. That's... The official conclusion from Rosie. (laughs) So we're going to play the actual 911 call because we super much sugarcoated it and broke it down into the details. But we'll let you make up your own mind about this guy. 
But first, before we do that, we're going to play a promo for another <laughs> podcast from Rosie's homeland, <laughs> True Crime Sweden. Yes, my dear home. <laughs> yeah, we actually met Pernilla, the host of True Crime Sweden, at the True Crime Podcast Festival because we were table buddies. Mm-hmm. And she was very sweet to us. Uh, We were really nervous and had no idea what we were doing, but she and her writer and her daughters were very kind to us. They even got us coffee in the middle of the day. She gave us candy. Oh, yeah. Some questionable candy, (laughs) but it was was fun. So we definitely recommend you check out her podcast. It's a lot more professional and better quality than ours, which doesn't take a whole lot. Um, Also, we learned that they write the entire script in swedish first then they translate it to english can you even imagine all the work that goes into each episode to do that it's a lot so we really appreciate that go check it out and here's the promo hi i'm panilla the host and creator of true crime sweden A podcast that brings you crazy, scary, and unbelievable crime stories from the peaceful country of Sweden. By listening to True Crime Sweden, you get to hear cases that you haven't ever heard about before. And at the same time, you learn something about how the legal system works in another part of the world. All the stories are told with great respect for the victims and their families. It's a one-woman show, no banter. Just me telling you a scary bedtime story. And I end each episode with a little fun fact about Sweden. Something that is highly appreciated by my listeners. If this sounds interesting, head over to your podcast provider of choice and search for True Crime Sweden. I hope to see you. Bye. Or as we say in Sweden, hey då. All right, back to our story. Here's the 911 call with Peter Chadwick. <laughs> you ready for this? Yeah, I'm super interested. 911 emergency, this is Crystal. Yeah, my wife, my wife's dead. Okay, so where exactly is she? They took her, they took her. Who took her? The guy broke into my house. He, he drove me here, he, he had a friend. They, they just gone, they, they've gone in a pickup truck. Okay, so your wife is dead. She's dead. Okay, did they, she they die killed, in the house they, they, and then they took they, her corpse? Yeah, they, they, they killed, killed her uh, yesterday. They killed her yesterday? Yeah, we, 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 we've been driving uh, in, in Newport Beach. Okay, hold on, let me get my supervisor on the phone. He said that his wife is dead, but someone broke into dead. the house and stole and uh, he, he, took her. Yeah, he. he we, okay, what? He what? Found her. He, uh, I. He, Who is he? he? Um, um, Juan. 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 How do you know Juan? Uh, I picked him up to to look at some painting work at the house. I brought him to the house. And when did this happen? Yesterday, middle of the day. Yesterday, in the middle of the day. When did she die? Yesterday, middle of the day. Okay, and where is she now? Like 11. Uh, They have her body. They said they're going to cut her up. Who has her body? Juan and Chi. Okay, so when she died at 11 o'clock, they took her? Yeah, yeah. They, They maybe put her in the car. We... How do you know she's dead? She drowned. She drowned. What? Her body was stiff, even. I've been driving with them. They they say they're going to cut her up. What's your name? Peter Chadwick. Mm-hmm. Are you on any kind of medication, sir? Not heavy one. Okay. It's not that. Okay. I... Because I think they're going, uh, they might be going to Mexico or somewhere. Okay, but this happened yesterday at 11. You're now calling us at 5.30 in the morning. I know. I, I want you to get him. Huh? Yeah. Okay. They're here. Okay, go talk to him. Yeah, so what the heck do you think of that? 
That was so weird. And he, when he was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, that? are you on any medications? He's oh, like, it's man. not that. Uh, yeah. Okay. So clearly he's, I mean, making it, stuff up as he goes. Yeah. When he's like, she drowned. And they're like, what? She oh. drowned. How do you know? They had to keep digging the story out of him, and he had to keep thinking about like everything while he was saying it. Yeah. It was so obvious. Okay. Well, just minutes after making this 911 call, police arrived at Peter's location and picked him up for questioning. He told the police that the morning of the previous day, he was working at one of his property developments when a man approached him and introduced himself. His name was Juan. Juan asked Peter if he could get a job working on the development. Peter told Juan that he already had all the workers he needed at the site, but that he did need some painting done at his own personal house. I don't know about you, but I would not offer a person I just met a job inside my home where my wife and children live unless they're affiliated with a reputable company. This Mm-hmm. This this is just some rando that approached him. Like, well, didn't JC do guards' parents hire that guy to do some handiwork and painting around their house? Uh, I think that was uh, different person. Elizabeth Smarts. Oh, okay, I don't remember. Just another example. Yeah, there was another case, but that guy was actually working for a company. So, like, oh, he was. This situation is ridiculous like someone walks up to him randomly from nowhere and asks for a job and then he's like go work at my house (laughs) i don't know it seems really sketchy Mm -hmm. after this peter drove juan to his house and told juan what he needed painted and left him to go do some work so he's on his own in the house right yeah like in his own section of the house he was in the on the stairs going up mm-hmm. and apparently peter's office was downstairs and his wife so, is home yeah his wife's taking a bath upstairs oh man this is so odd again this is peter's story mm-hmm. so peter went downstairs to his office like you said and left juan upstairs to paint a banister but apparently during this time juan made his way upstairs to the master bathroom Peter told police he heard screams from the upstairs bathroom. QC was screaming his name, and he ran to find Juan drowning QC. He said he tried to stop Juan, but Juan pulled out a Swiss army knife with a two-inch blade and threatened him. Okay, what? If I saw someone trying to drown you, Rosie, I would do anything in my power to get them off of you. I think pretty much anyone would for someone they love. And I don't care if they have a machete. I'm not going to back down because of this flimsy little Swiss army knife, you know? It's a tiny two-inch blade. Like, what is that going to do to you that's not worth saving your loved one over? Mm -hmm. But apparently that held him back because this is what he says deterred him from saving his wife. Um... So, there's... Why did he want to kill QC? Well, that's another good question. Um, But even in his own made-up story, Peter sounds like a moron and a wimp. And I'm really curious how such a moron became a millionaire, <laughs> but I guess he was kind of born into it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Peter said that after QC was dead... Juan made him wrap her body up in a green blanket and load her into the silver Lexus. Then Juan told him to pack a bag. So, according to Peter's story, he's being forced to help Juan hide his wife's body. And in order to get Peter to do this, Juan is using this tiny Swiss army knife. Hmm. And then his wife's murderer allows him to go pack a to-go bag? Like, seriously, dude, you're making up a story. You can say anything you want. Why didn't you say this guy was holding a Glock to your head or something a little more intimidating? But what really gets me here, though, is that 
it's obvious whatever happened, Peter did it. But he's describing the murder and theft of his own wife and showing almost no emotion. He's pretending to cry, but there's no tears. I mean, how disrespectful to QC's life. Peter goes on to tell police that Juan held the knife to him and forced him to drive to the Mexican border. Again, that footage they pulled, this guy wasn't visible in that footage. So, there's <laughs> that. Juan makes Peter stop at an ARCO. Do you, are you supposed to say A-R-C-O? No, I think it's just ARCO. ARCO gas station in San Diego. Then Juan called up his buddy Chi, and Chi showed up driving a blue pickup truck. They moved QC into the truck and left Peter behind. Right. <laughs> Police examined Peter's body and found it covered in scratches and bruises and a bite mark on his arm. But he never mentioned a physical struggle with Juan until after they found the wounds, of course. Then he said they were from a struggle with Juan, but... Peter, I thought you were afraid to go near the big bad two-inch blade and save your wife. <laughs> the wounds appeared to be from someone trying to scratch and fight their way out of a bad situation. Sadly, based on the evidence, it really appeared that Peter drowned his wife, QC, and she tried really hard to fight her way out of it, even biting him, trying to save herself. But this cold-hearted moron took her life. After the police brought up the fact that his story didn't match his injuries or make any sense in general, Peter called his lawyer and quit talking. It's also worth noting that during the police interviews, he never once asked about the welfare of his children. Now that's a huge red flag to me. These are the children he completely ditched and abandoned to go dispose of his wife and then make up a story about... It's... So cold-hearted to just abandon them like that. So, why the heck would he do all this? Well, as police searched the home during his interviews, they found QC's wedding ring. Of course. If Juan really took her, why would he leave something so valuable behind? I mean, these were millionaires. I'm sure it was a fantastic ring. But it makes a lot more sense that Peter would leave it behind so he could sell it later. They also found a handwritten piece of paper in QC's closet and her handwriting detailing the search history of Peter's computer. Well, that's weird. Yeah. On the list was Chinese Massage Girls Escort, <laughs> Tijuana Escort Girls, Divorce Vicky Tran, California. I'm guessing Vicky Tran's like a lawyer, divorce lawyer? Probably. And the two most interesting, abortion cost in California and... How to torture. What the heck? Yeah, why would anyone need to look up how to torture? But these searches, along with the fact that um, QC discovered them and wrote them down, it's very suspicious. And it's possible QC was pregnant and Peter didn't want to keep the baby. It's also possible she found out he was searching up escorts and confronted him about it, and he wanted to cover that up. Maybe he got an escort pregnant? That's an interesting theory I never thought about. But why would he kill his wife because of that? True. And the how to torture search, I'll just leave that one alone, because you can draw your own conclusions there. But it seems to me like he wanted out of his relationship for some reason, and he didn't want a new baby. And then she found out he was cheating, and he wanted to come out of all of this with his perfect reputation. So he figured he could solve all his problems with one action. But he was way too stupid to actually pull it off. <laughs> and, I mean, this is all just speculation. We can't know for sure what all led up to this unless Peter decides to talk, but there are a lot of possible motives here. Mm -hmm. On top of all this, we also found out that the family's finances weren't as great as they appeared, and they were actually struggling with money issues. Huh. Well, I wonder why. Who would have thunk that? Spending $2 million on a house, that, that can't lead to any problems. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So, there was a new development. About a week after the disappearance, 
they discovered the body of Kui Chu in San Diego, stuffed inside a garbage dumpster. When they found it, the dumpster should have actually been collected already, but its owners hadn't paid their garbage bill, so it was still there. Wow. That's really fortunate. Yeah, what are the odds Peter would pick a dumpster that happened to be unpaid that month? But, I mean, take a minute to let this sink in. This was his wife of 21 years, mother of his children, someone that took care of his many needs over the two decades, and he had so little respect for her that he just stuffed her into a dumpster. This shows what a monster he is and what was he doing for 16 hours if he just question if he just decided to throw her in a dumpster you know he didn't even respect her enough to bury her drove to san diego an hour and a half away stuffed her in a trash can and called the police that's all we know he did and how did that take 16 hours i don't understand Mm -mm. qc was wrapped in a green blanket and her ID and some of her belongings were with her. So he did have that detail correct about mm-hmm. the green blanket. Yeah. Peter ended up arrested and charged with the murder of Kui Chu. He pled not guilty, of course, and Peter was able to pay his $1 million bail and get out to await his trial. He had surrendered both his UK and US passports and had no criminal history, so he was not considered a flight risk. Peter was closely monitored for a while after posting bail. During this time, Peter sent out invitations to his friends and family to a 100-day vigil for his wife. And this made everybody mad because it was so obvious that he killed her. Everyone knew it. So Peter was waiting for his trial, but of course the Gears of Justice moved very slowly Peter spent two years out of jail awaiting trial, and he seemed to be respecting the rules of his release. But one day, in 2015, Peter's attorney called the authorities and told them he couldn't get in contact with Peter. Peter had run away, and after checking the banking records, they saw that over the past two years, he had been making withdrawals from his bank account in smaller chunks. But over two years, the cash accumulated to around a million dollars. How much money does this guy have? He was able to pay a million for bail and then has another million in cash to withdraw. This is insane. But he was having money problems? <laughs> I know. I can't wrap my head around it. I mean, I'm sure it was a lot of debt. Mm-hmm. Police searched his house again, and they found a book about how to disappear. <laughs> Again, he's so stupid. Why did he leave that out? <laughs> exactly. He he disappeared and left behind something that made it obvious what his plans were. <laughs> it's like, wouldn't he want them to think he was, like, kidnapped or something? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what an idiot. After his disappearance, there was a sighting of him on some airport security cameras. There was a video of him walking out of an airport bathroom and getting into a taxi. But the really goofy part is that he never walked into that bathroom. What? Instead, what appeared to be a woman had gotten out of a taxi and walked into that bathroom a few minutes before Peter walked out of it. They had also found footage of a woman leaving Peter's house in a taxi. So they were able to put all these pieces together. What a sly dog. See, that book really worked. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Peter had dressed up in drag to escape his home unnoticed, then taken a taxi to the airport, changed, and took another taxi away from the airport. After that, Peter was gone. So I keep calling him an idiot and a moron and stupid, but... I mean, he did pull off a pretty elaborate disappearance here. You obviously haven't read the book. Yeah. He was smart enough to pull off the plan, but not smart enough to hide his plan. (laughs) The U.S. Marshal working on this case said that there were active leads in many countries, including Japan, Belize, Canada, Mexico, and Ukraine. They did find that he first went north for a couple of years to throw authorities off his scent, but then looped around and went south. In 2017, 
he was in a bus accident in Mexico. They said it's easier to get a fake passport in Mexico. So, I mean, there was like legit spottings of him, but they were never able to actually catch him. So this story ran on several news outlets. People were on the lookout for him. Cambo actually covered this guy on True Crime Island, asking people to help find him. And there was even a podcast made by the people, the police working the case. And the reason we decided to cover this is because there's been a new development. Chadwick had moved up to the U.S. Marshal's most wanted list. The police department working his case even produced a six-part podcast based on the story to generate tips about Peter's whereabouts. In it, they flat out said, Peter, we are coming for you. And their work paid off because they eventually received a crucial tip that helped them find him. Yay! He was found and arrested in Mexico. Now, Peter faces charges that can lead from 25 years to life in prison. Yeah, and between the murder and being on the run for five years, I'm sure he'll get life. But you never know. It's just such a senseless waste of life, and... I'm sure they could have worked out a better plan for their issues if they would have just communicated. I mean, murder is such a... It never needs to resort to that. There's always a better option. Oh, so you would have gone with the plan B of talking it out? Yeah, I I would hope so. (laughs) But, I mean, whenever things are so bad that someone feels the need to murder their spouse, maybe it's time to get some professional help. And these poor kids, they lost their mother suddenly. And their father. He just ditched them. Yeah. they And, I mean, that was after they found out their father was responsible and didn't really seem to give a crap about them or their safety. I feel so bad for these kids, and I can't imagine which heartbreak is worse, finding out your mother's dead or finding out your father's the murderer. It's just an absolute tragedy and confusing situation for them. Mm-hmm. So we talk about a lot of really tragic things. Last week's episode was really somber and for good reason. But we want to lighten things up a little bit because what better way to honor the dead than to enjoy the life we still have? And in this situation, there is so much to make fun of about the idiotic way this guy handled everything. So we're going to dissect the 911 call and make fun of this idiot a little bit. (laughs) Okay. So, Rosie, I kind of broke up the call into its different parts, and we all just heard it. But um, do you want to walk us through what happened again? So the first thing he does is say, my wife's dead, with no sign of emotion at all. And I don't like to judge how someone should react when they're in a tragic situation like this, but you'd think he'd show some emotion while he's telling the police that his wife is dead. Right. But the call goes on. He goes on to say, they took her. They took her. And when they ask who took her, he has to pause and think for a couple of seconds. Then he just says, the guy broke into my house. He drove me here. And he had a friend. They're just gone in a pickup truck. So they ask him who it was, and it really seems like he doesn't know what the name of the person is because he had to think for a couple seconds and then starts giving information she didn't ask for instead of saying what the name of the person was. Mm -hmm. And then he makes it clear later on that he knows the name, but why wouldn't he say it right away? I don't know. Unless he was making it all up on the spot. Mm -hmm. The 911 operator asks, so your wife was kidnapped? And he says again, with no emotion, she's dead. And she asked, they got in the house and they took her corpse? And again, hesitating, he says, yes, they, 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 they killed, killed her uh, yesterday. It's so obvious that he's making most of this up on the spot. It's like he made the call thinking he'd just tell them she's dead and hang up. But then 
while he was talking to her, he realized that they need a little more detail. And he tried to spin this monstrosity of a story. And we're only 45 seconds in, and he still hasn't mentioned Juan. She asks, they killed her yesterday? And he responds, yeah, we, 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 we been driving on Newport Beach. <laughs> then there's a pause, and she says, okay. And that's weird, because... He was in San Diego. So why did he say Newport Beach? And then she asks him to wait so she can get her supervisor on the phone. Then the original operator explains the situation and that Peter had said he took her. And the supervisor asks, who's he? To which Peter sounds shocked at the question once again (laughs) and obviously has to hesitate to think about it and says, uh, um, Juan, Juan. And she asks, how do you know Juan? And he again says, uh, I picked him up to look at the painting work at the house. I brought him to the house. This is a good time to mention that there was absolutely no evidence during the initial home search of any painting work being done at the house. Oh, so that is very interesting. (laughs) She then asks, when did this happen? And he said, yesterday, middle of the day. She replies, yesterday in the middle of the day? When did she die? This time he seems a little irritated, replying, yesterday, middle of the day, again. She says, okay, and where is she now? As he inserts at like 11, they have her body. They say they're going to cut her up. And when he says this, it's with, like, slight disgust, but absolutely no mournful emotion. Like, I can't imagine describing these things to anyone about a loved one and being able to stay composed. But he says it in such a matter-of-fact way. Again, I don't want to say how someone should respond to tragedy. If this was the only evidence, maybe I could believe he's just an innocent sociopath in shock. But with all the other evidence, he just looks like a stupid moron. Mm -hmm. Then she asks, who has her body? And he replies, Juan. And she. (laughs) Again, he has to think about the name. Every time there's new information in the story, he has to hesitate and think before saying it. This is just classic bullcrap spinner behavior. It's so obvious that he's literally making this all up on the fly, like... He couldn't have thought of this five minutes ahead of time, at least, to try to make it believable. Thank goodness he didn't, though, because he made the solving of this case pretty easy. The 911 operator was really skeptical and said, Okay, so when she died at 11 o'clock, they took her? And he hesitated again, then said, Yeah, yeah, they made me put her in the car. We... Then he just stops talking and breathes heavily. I took this part as the part where he realizes he really messed this up. He's talking to the police, and he's screwed, and he knows it. The operator was just over it at this point and knew that he was full of it, so she asks him, how do you know she's dead? And he says, she drowned, she drowned. Still very aware that he messed this up. She replies, what? Audibly frustrated with him. And he says, her body was stiff even. I've been driving with them. They they said they're going to cut her up. <sighs> okay, I googled this. It takes a body three to four hours to become stiff. But he tells this like it's all happening quickly. Like, maybe during his actual murder and disposal of her, like in real life, she became stiff. But there's no way she was stiff right after Juan supposedly drowned her and then forced him to carry her to the car. Also, I really need to get a VPN because the stuff I Google sometimes is really sketchy. (laughs) Anyway, the 911 operator knows where this is all going, so she just flat out asks him, What's your name? He tells her, then there's some silence, and he makes this weird nervous humming noise. I like that. I like that weird nervous humming noise. Yeah. (laughs) Now this leads her to ask him, are you on any kind of medication, sir? He replies, not any heavy ones. She says, okay. 
Yeah, and right here he realizes that she thinks he's a nut job, which is accurate, but he quickly blurts out, it's not that. He knows that this call is not going the way he wanted it to. He says, I think they're going. They might be going to Mexico somewhere. Here again, he goes back to completely matter-of-fact speak, and he has absolutely no emotion about two weirdos driving into another country with his wife's corpse. The operator speaks again, completely over this guy's BS, saying, Okay, but this happened yesterday, though at 11 o'clock, and you're now calling us at 5.30 in the morning. And apparently he doesn't get the point of what she's saying, like how weird it is that he waited so long, because he just says, I know, I I want you to get him. <laughs> Again, changing it from two guys to one. He just cannot get it straight. At this point, the police arrive at the gas station where he called from, and that's when they took him in for questioning. <sighs> it's crazy how he's just weaving this story and also trying to cover certain bases, like saying they made him carry her out to the car just in case they found her DNA on him, possibly. When I first heard this story, before they got him, it was just so enraging. And it still is. But now that he's in custody, it's a bit more satisfying to talk about, knowing that he'll actually be held accountable. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't be joking about his 911 call if he wasn't caught. But now that he is, it's, it's funny what an idiot he is. But how could he do this to his wife? Like I mentioned before, he's been with this person forever. I mean, two decades is a long time. We've only been married six years, and it feels like we've been married forever, you know? <laughs> like, I, I don't know, to me it <laughs> In does. In a good way? In a good way. <laughs> like, I can't imagine life without you now is what I meant. <laughs> but then there's the kids. And... To think about what these kids are going through, it's heartbreaking. And if you kids ever hear this, I'm so sorry you had to live through that. It's so unfair to you. And I hope you're able to heal. Just hang in there. And if if you ever do want to share your voice, you're always welcome to reach out to us. But that wraps up this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for listening this week. If you enjoy our show, please let us know with an email or a review. Also, consider supporting us on Patreon. Your support makes such a huge difference to us. Yeah, and also, just want to remind you guys, we got two new Patreon uh, episodes up this week. And I want to apologize for the delay in the bonus episodes. We... We've been trying to get caught up on that, but Rosie's been really sick. You can probably still tell. And my great-grandma died. Yeah. So it's been a tough week for <laughs> Rosie. And uh, you may have noticed Rosie's voice change halfway through the episode. We had like a 15-minute kerfuffle where she couldn't stop coughing. So I threw um, up. Yeah. Well, I think you just had like a a reflex to the mucus in your throat because you're not used to that. Yeah. But hopefully... I'm still on the mend. Yeah. But you're feeling better, right? I will after tacos. <laughs> of course. Your soul food. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, thank you for being understanding about us um, being behind on Patreon episodes. And Patreon packages, we are sending them out. They're out. I oh. sent them two days ago. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yep. We probably have more to send now, though. So. Well, we got to wait a little bit. But yeah, yeah, that's right. So links for all of that, Patreon and whatnot, will be in the description. And you can also follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast, Twitter at VOV Pod, Facebook at Voice of the Victim Support System. And also our email is vovpodcast at gmail.com. And you can get a shirt or mug or other cool stuff at our Threadless store. Yeah. Uh, vovpodcast.threadless.com. Check out our new design. Yeah. Rosie is on our shirt now. Yeah. So the link to that is in the show notes. Did you tell people about your shirt design yet on the main feed? Mm, I don't know. I, I just was dinking around on my phone and I... 
I figured out there's a portrait mode on the iPhone, and I was playing around with it, and then I liked what I saw, and then I made it into a logo because I thought it looked kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know. It was just just for fun. Yeah, it's a very, um, would you call it grassroots design? I don't know. I mean, you just basically made it on accident, and you really mm-hmm. liked it, but that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's how great art is born, right? One accident. <laughs> One accident at a time. Mm-hmm. So, it's been a, a few weeks since we've shared reviews. Mm-hmm. So, we have a couple very sweet reviews to share this week. Yeah. So, Rosie, do you want to read one? Sure. The first one's a five-star um, entitled, Love It. It says, I love that you guys are focusing on abuse, which needs, which needs brought to light more. I think it. <laughs> I think it meant uh, they meant needs to be brought to light yeah, more. Okay. <laughs> As a survivor of dysfunction and abuse, it's very relatable, and I've really enjoyed the listener stories and Ryan and Rosie's personal stories. Really touched my heart. Keep up the heart work. <laughs> Parentheses hard. <laughs> Love from Seattle, Bridget. Ooh, Seattle. Our favorite place. I love Seattle. One of our favorite places. So thank you, Bridget. Um, That's very sweet. Sorry I butchered that review, Bridget. No, you've been having a rough night. So the next one is entitled Love, Love, Love. Aw, they both have love in the title. You guys are so awesome. Uh, It says, this podcast is great on so many levels. I strive to have this sort of relationship with my honey. (laughs) This couple tells stories amazingly well and is really making sure victims are not forgotten. The stories they tell are always to the point without a lot of unnecessary chatter. And personally, I love the cat stories at the end. (laughs) Five stars from Lens18 from the United States. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. We didn't have a cat story, did we? No. I know they're pre- they're being pretty boring these days. Well, he does. Uh, this is just a little detail of a burrito, but he has this cat tower that his bowl. Yeah, it has a bowl on top, and he likes to lay in the bowl. And then as we walk by, he swats us with his claws. I think it's like fishing, really. He's just waiting for us to walk by. Oh, true. Yeah, but yeah, yeah it. Kind of hurts sometimes, but it's cute. Both of them are in here right now. Well, two out of three. Oh, yeah. They always have to be in here while we're recording, (laughs) which you've all probably noticed. (laughs) Um, But anyway, that's it for this week. So thank you so much for listening. And Rosie, you have anything else to say? I can't believe I made it. (laughs) I know. Me neither. (laughs) And we're going to go to tacos now. Yes. All right. So thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.